Jade Software presents Beta and Beyond, the RegTech Modernization Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Thanks for joining us. We're going to hit the ground running today and jump straight into one of our previous events. There's some great thoughts in here about achieving transformation. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Justin Mercer, our GM of Australia. Really excited, actually. We've got a, a chunky topic, which is the um, challenge of achieving transformation. And I'm very lucky to be joined by James Sayer, uh, Delivery Transformation Lead, and Jane McGale, uh, Director of Delivery at Jade. Welcome both. Hi. Hi. Now, um, maybe we'll just kick off for um, for the listeners if just give a little bit of a background around your role, and um, and then we can get stuck in. Great. I can go first. Um, so, as Justin said, I'm Director of Delivery here at Jade. Uh, we've got a large team um, working with people through the whole experience on the SDLC. So we've got from designers, strategic thinkers, business analysts, architects, engineers, testing, DevOps, um, and our agile practices, of course. So um, I work setting the direction with the senior leadership team here at Jade and um, honoured enough to work with our great team here at Jade in our delivery capacity. Nice, thanks, Jane. Cool, so I'm James Sayer. Um, I've worked in IT now for about the last 20 years or so in a number of different roles, spanning business analysis, project management, and then more latterly uh, leadership roles. The last kind of seven or eight years, for me, have been focused really primarily around um, designing and implementing kind of uh, you know IT operating models at scale and agile operating models, and working with the kind of exact leadership teams uh, through to the de development teams to to make that implementation successful, and that continues now um, in my role with Jade. Excellent. Well. Um... We'll be drawing on some of that experience for the next uh, 20, 30 minutes. So why don't we kick it off um, just to frame up um, transformation and, and, and some of the challenges. What, what do you both see as some of the key success factors when, when an organisation is, is embarking on a transformation journey? Yeah, I think, I think the main thing um, from my point of view is kind of creating that strategic alignment that we talked about between um, the kind of IT and business functions, you know, more and more now we're seeing that IT are, you know, treated as equal partners with a kind of seat at the, the top table within businesses. Um, but I think the, the the change is in creating that focus for IT on business outcomes. You know, um, we talk about kind of um, every business being an IT business, but likewise, every IT department needs to kind of operate as a business and needs to understand the business outcomes that they're actually driving for. Um, historically, there's been a lot of focus on just kind of um, outputs-driven, you know, IT, where we're always striving to create more projects or, um, you know, write more lines of code and things like that. But it's really about, um, you know, getting, getting your IT teams focused on delivering the business outcomes you want. Mm, nice. Yeah, and I think also another one is culture. So um, it's so important to have the right environment um, for people to be able to um, excel in, essentially. So intent-based leadership is really key for us. So making sure that people feel valued and proud of the work that they do um, and actually seeing how they fit into the whole organisation so that they can really understand the objectives and then how they can actually positively change the dial 
So roles like can coach is a really key, making sure that we've got um, a good understanding of where we're going to James's point. So you're having that good, strong strategic alignment. And then really sort of trusting and empowering teams to be able to um, drive that change forward. So less command and control and, and more of that um, real autonomy coming from the team. And it feels like um, actually it's, it's, although it's still a strong part of it, some of those, those technical aspects of agile delivery are only a small part of, of the overall um, success criteria. So uh, if I was going to sum that up, you're talking about sort of that strategic alignment, um, the, the communication and, and the culture. And then if we were going to unpack those topics a little bit further, um, James, maybe do you want to sort of pick up on, or, or Jane, on that, that topic of st strategic alignment? Um, are there particular um, challenges or, or, um, or I guess, tips that you'd have around overcoming some of those challenges as, if we drill down into, into those individual topics? Yeah. I can go first because I know we both are quite passionate about this one. Um, and so I think there's a big thing about having investment from the top down, that buy-in is really key. Um, and then, you know, making sure that people across the organisation understand what, what investment is needed across the whole end-to-end development cycle essentially so it's not just about creating changes in a development scrum team it's actually about how do we set ourselves up for more of the other supporting roles through from finance support from people and capability um, which Kate no doubt will talk about um, when you speak to her next and um, right the way down to how often we can release into our support side of things and um, our environment so it's really making sure that when you make that change you need to invest in all of those roles um, and set those teams up for success essentially and yeah. communicating that as well. And that's that's been a big part of our kind of initial planning for any transformation is really modeling your whole kind of business um, domain and, and understanding all those links between the different departments that need to work together to kind of contribute towards that success. Um, and once you understand those touch points, then you can really dig into how the teams interact with one another um, and the, the kind of broader impacts on the organization. So, you know, if we want to change the culture, for instance, then it's going to have an impact on the way that we go out and recruit, and the way that we actually advertise ourselves and the kind of talent that we want to actually attract into the organization. We might be targeting, you know, that kind of new wave of kind of management skills, the more collaborative approach and so on. Um, rather than maybe some you know more traditional skills and things like that the other point i was going to mention on this one justin was just around you know jane mentioned that kind of top down buy-in to kind of drive and lead the change and i think that's that's kind of super important um what we also see is there's a there's a kind of a need for that kind of bottom-up um change the kind of grassroots change as well um so it's really important that teams Kind of have that desire to change um, and, and they can see the reason for doing it as well and then hopefully when the, the top down and the bottom up kind of meet in the middle then then that's where you can really create change at scale and so for um any of the executive or or um or managers that are out there listening today i, I guess what i'm hearing is that um when you're embarking on a transformation program there's actually a number of different layers um that you need to think about um, both horizontally and vertically within an organisation. Are there any particular pitfalls that you think you'd like to call out there 
um, or things to be aware of um, as you're starting this journey of, of transformation or modernization? I think uh, communication is key. I don't think you can communicate enough. I think that's something definitely learned through own experience. Um, just keep communicating, keep linking back to the purpose of why and, and relating that back into what that means for everyone's roles and their day-to-day. -day. So how does that actually benefit them? So communication, I suppose, is really key um, from my point of view. Yeah. And, you know, I, I talk about the investment that you need to make, understanding the investment. I think it's easy to look at it sometimes and say, okay, we want to change the way that we work, but fundamentally there's still just, you know, similar jobs need to be done, and, you know, but you need, you need to be prepared to invest a lot of time and you need to be prepared for the amount of time it's going to take as well. You know, in, in all of the transformation programs that I've worked on, there's been a lot of setbacks along the way um, where, you know, teams have made progress, but then maybe fallen back into old habits and things like that. You know, you just have to remember that these kind of cultural changes that we talked about they can take six, nine months or more to kind of become embedded in everybody's kind of way of way of working. So, you know, you need to keep on reiterating the messages. We find ourselves in, in a situation where we're where we're often kind of coming back to the same kind of messages and reiterating them over a really long period of time to kind of help make them stick. And in terms of that uh, that point of communication, I imagine there's lots of different ways that you can communicate. Are there any particular um, methods or, or formats you've found really effective? Gosh, I think we've, we've tried so many of them. So um, ones that have been really great is, um, I've personally found is actually getting small groups of people together. So actually it's a big investment up front, but actually spending time to get, uh, to explain where you're heading um, and giving people the opportunity to ask questions. Um, I, I find that though, that type of communication is actually really helpful. Um, and as well as obviously everything else from, you can have blogs going, you can have your own leadership team, making sure that all of you know your team that you work with, they're telling the same story. So it's not just coming from one person. I think the more people starting to tell the same story um, is really powerful. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've talked a little bit about the, the different um, levels at which you need to engage and um, both both within the organisation and, and communication is really key. I, I did um, see so you touched on a topic there of intent-based leadership, Jane. Do you mind just explaining a little bit of that for, for those who are um, listening? Yeah, sure thing. Um, the, the whole intent, <laughs> the intent behind intent-based leadership is that um, people... The outcome is that you get team members and peoples in the organisation that feel really valued. Um, they feel really motivated, connected to the work that they're doing, and they're able to take responsibilities for their own actions. So it's been in a position of being able to um, set out where we're heading, making sure that the leadership team is actually really setting the direction, um, outlining what our objectives are, and then actually playing coaching roles to allow um, the people that are closer to the detail and probably more specialism and skill sets to actually drive the change. Nice. So um, I guess in, in layman's terms, it's about moving that, um, that decision-making role from the centre of the organisation out to the edges where the information exists. Yeah. Nice. nice. Um, all right. So we've talked a little bit about alignment and culture. Um, and I guess uh, there's some who are going to be on different sort of 
paths and uh, Agile has been around for a while now. Um, I guess the, the elephant in the room is we're actually seeing in the market, some of our customers have, um, uh, or clients have, have almost um, lost faith in Agile or it's become a dirty word in some ways. Um, it, if we assume that that is, is the case, you know, why do you think um, businesses have lost, lost trust in Agile and Agile ways of working? Okay, big big topic, but um, yes, you know it's, it's definitely something that we see that um, a lot of companies have had these kind of not necessarily failed agile projects, but agile or agile transformations, but transformations that have really failed to deliver, um, you know, what the, the original promise, I guess, really. Um, and if I think about a couple of the couple of the kind of um, transformations that I've been involved in, where we've seen that. I think it comes down to the fact that old ways of working tend to get without the proper and full support for the teams that are doing it. There is a tendency that old ways of working can kind of get rebadged as agile. So, you know, suddenly people are talking about, okay, well, we're working in sprints now and we're, you know, we're doing retrospectives and we've got, a, you know, we've got a backlog and we've got user stories. But without kind of the right kind of coaching in place to really shift the whole kind of mindset behind that like I say it becomes a bit of a hollow kind of rebadging and of course if all you do is rebadge what you were doing with some new terminology then you shouldn't really expect to get any different results but of course what can happen then is that you know when if you don't get the results or you have some you know failures even worse then suddenly agile is now to blame because you were doing an agile transformation and even though the issues that you've got of you know a missed deadline or a very slow kind of release cycle or something like that maybe that's something that your organization has always suffered from but of course now the finger is pointed at agile so um, i would say that it's not so much that the implementation has failed it's just not really um, it's been imperfect from the outset mm. yeah and i wondered too sometimes there's a one-size-fits-all approach and when you haven't actually really got into understand how um, I brought it to the forefront, actually, of how your business operates and what it needs to be successful, sometimes it can just be labelled, kind of James point, something that just goes into the development team. So oh, we're, we're doing Scrum now, we're, we're following sprints, um, but we haven't put the right measures in place. The trust hasn't been pushed down into the team. Um, and, yeah, we're just not set up for success. So I think that's probably quite a key thing as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you think about, um, say, the kind of agile fluency model, mm -hmm. then that says not all businesses are actually trying to achieve the same things when they become agile. You know, some businesses will be happy with quite a kind of um, a, a, a kind of a minimal or lean implementation of that, where they're just looking for some better visibility and maybe slightly better engagement within the teams and with customers, mm. but they're not trying to redesign their whole organization. Um, you know, they're not trying to kind of do the whole shift away from projects and to sort of product mindset or something like that. You know, they may not be ready for that. So, you know, you have to be realistic about what your goals are as well um, and, and what your the amount of change that your business is actually able to kind of um, absorb. 
And so I imagine also um, this may be a myth, but there's a perception out there that by default being agile also means being unpredictable. Do, do you see that as a as a challenge, or or, or how how might you you overcome something like that? Yeah, it's really it's a really interesting one. I think I think there definitely is um, there definitely is a perception of that. Mm. Um, although it's, it's interesting for me because as someone who has kind of come from I mentioned earlier kind of project management background into this, and I, I rapidly found on my own kind of agile journey about learning about the tools that were out there that actually I was able to achieve far more predictability um, mm. from agile methods because they're actually you know, based on real data, but also respond to, um, you know, and adapt to the changing environment and can changing constraints of the project rather than being built on this kind of big upfront predictive planning. The fact is we're constantly changing the plan to reflect the latest data that we have. And actually we can, um, you know, we, we can have a lot more predictability and, and actually we can put real data um, in front of people, in front of sponsors and execs, so that they don't feel like they're kind of losing control. But again, I think with often with um, with a transformation, then the focus is all on sort of like, okay, well, you know, it's all about simplicity. Sweep all this stuff away. You know, don't do so much planning and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's this feeling, this loss of control, definitely. Yeah. Visibility is key, I suppose. I think that was the one thing that was definitely to James's point. Um, and also like the, the ability when you think about your customers as well, um, and your customers could be inside your organization, is that you're always out there testing and validating. And I think that's something that Agile really gives you the ability to do. So you're not going out with a set view on exactly how everything's going to be done and planning it all up front. So I think we all know that it just brings so much risk and that's when you start to see projects overrun and overrun. But there is actually, to use James's word before, is more control actually in being able to use Agile is because you can make decisions faster um, because you've got more information up front and surfaced earlier rather than waiting further down the track. Okay, so I think um, it almost feels like this there's two potential topics here that we could dig into a little bit further. One is more that the the high level alignment and, and all that work that goes in, and the other bit is is within the at the team level. I guess one thing that I've I've seen in the past or or heard through through customer stories is this classic burn up chart. Where if um, for those who 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 may not be familiar, but I'm sure you all are, you've got this worm that's sort of burning up to a target, and you've got story points, and then. Somewhere throughout the project, um, new information comes to light and there's a huge jump in the points required and then all of a sudden the, 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 um, the milestones or the expected completion date is, is out of whack. I mean, um, what are your thoughts on, on overcoming that situation or are there certain things that you can do as an as a agile practice manager up front to help avoid that sort of um, burn-up shock, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like the classic um, case of maybe, you know, not enough, not enough planning up front. So like I was saying earlier, then often, you know, Agile is seen as kind of, oh, well, we can abandon all that. You know, we don't do this big upfront planning anymore. But of course, you know, businesses need to make a decision about how they want to manage risk. And in, in some contexts, the right thing to do where the risk is very low is just to start work on something. And you know, build something out, and test those ideas, and get feedback, and that's fine. 
But of course, a lot of the projects that we're involved in or programs of work that we're involved in, they're, they're large and they're at scale and they're very complex. And so in that scenario, you know, it's not the right thing just to get started. So we always, you know, would run either a kind of some kind of discrete discovery phase, which can go out and look at the kind of business context, the technology landscape and so on, and, and just start to kind of build out some parameters, um, you know, what are the constraints of the, the, the project and so on. Um, and we'd also always do a kind of a sprint zero to kind of get the team onboarded to allow them to look at, you know, who are the stakeholders and what is, you know, engage with them and find out what is the scope of work. Um, and by doing those kind of things, you can stop that um, effect where you just discover more and more and more work as you go. And then you're, you're more refining the scope as you go rather than just, you know, adding to it kind of continuously. Um, so I definitely, I'm definitely a great believer in the fact that, you know, Agile definitely doesn't mean abandoning planning. If anything, it actually means doing more planning, but it's just the plans are not fixed, you know. It's the old mm. thing that, you know, um, it's the process of planning, which is, which is really, really useful to get people to think about it rather than just following the plan. And you mentioned some of those constraints, and we might touch on that uh, in a minute, um, because I think... Uh, Every uh, financial services uh, business um, or manager who's involved with an organisation has some sort of constraints. Um, but before we touch on that, um, and I think you just touched on some of those those points there, James. But if for those who are in organisations where either they are weary of agile or they have had a failed project in the past. Are there, what sort of recommendations, Jane or James, would you have on how do you start rebuilding trust in, in agile practices? Yeah. So I think James pointed, uh, pointed out one earlier about start small. So you don't need to go out with a big bang and just change absolutely everything up front. Pick something that you can probably get your hands around and um, test and validate and make sure you've got the right team in place and the process and the right visibility coming up, down and across the organisation. I think that's that's one way of being able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think just, yeah, definitely building trust from that small start, you know, um, focusing on that visibility, you know, having teams that are delivering value and engaging their kind of stakeholders, delivering value every two weeks, you know, showing them, software working working features that they can actually touch and interact with is really really important for trust it's no longer you know give it to us hand it over and then we'll go away and then you might find you'll find out months later you know how things are going um, so just that continuous kind of conversation happening um, and then as soon as you start to see those kind of little success stories, um, you know, something that was done really well, something surprising that we learned and that we implemented quickly, which customer really loved, then it's the, the key thing is just to promote those kind of success stories, tell the story internally, how do we do this? Um, and with that, you can kind of build momentum and a bit of excitement about it. Um, yeah, storytelling is really important. The, number, the numbers are really important to be able to validate that storytelling is a really important part of transformation, I think. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Definitely. Which I guess then ties back into the communication point you, you both touched on earlier. Um, so we're celebrating wins. We're, we're communicating through the data we've got. Jane, you touched on having the right team in place. Um, mm -hmm. Do you, you want to just expand on, on what you think the right team might be or, or give us a bit of a flavour about that? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so there's, I suppose it's um, first understanding what kind of roles and what responsibilities that you need um, to sort of across the team. And I, I suppose it depends on um, what type of project you've got in place. So instead of, um, it's important to have a really good cross-functional team, making sure a product owner, um, so you've got someone there that uh, is empowered to make decisions. They're kind of the purse strings um, and they help be able to prioritise but also a good link back into your business. So one thing that I've seen um, some companies come up against is they probably haven't actually recognised how much investment is needed from these subject matter experts inside the organisation. So understanding that those people do have a role, even though they might not necessarily be working on it day to day. Um, Scrum Master, of course, um, when we're talking about agile practices, making sure that they're removing impediments for the team, really focused on team engagement, um, and a lot of the work they do around giving predictability around, you know, the numbers, the reporting, uh, and, and making sure that that's known, as well as obviously good counter people when it comes to, you know, experience design, business analysts, uh, um, architecture, engineering practices, right through to test, test automation and right into production, really. Yeah, and you know, on that on that subject of you know what roles do you need? Jane mentioned earlier, I think near the beginning about the you know the significance of having coaches. Um, you know, when you're when you're bringing people together that are maybe now working in kind of cross-functional teams rather than their traditional functional teams, you know, they they need help to achieve that kind of flow of work and all of the good kind of collaborative processes and, and so on that we want to see. Um, and just like with any sports team, you wouldn't expect to just throw a whole load of people together and suddenly for them to be really well performing, you know, that, that we would all acknowledge in that environment that we need coaches. You know, likewise, it's really important that we've got coaches here. Yeah. I think I think the key with, with that as well is people that have kind of been on that journey before and have that experience. What we've seen with some organisations is that... Um, you know, you, you talk about change, but if there's no one there that's kind of lived it before, they don't quite know what they're aiming at. And they, and they may think, well, we're, you know, we're doing pretty well at the moment. You know, we're doing better than we were this time last year, but they, but they don't really know quite where the bar is set or how, how, you know, the other ways that they could be working. Mm. So I think, you know, you can, you can grow that talent internally, and that's normally the starting point for most organisations because you're not going to go out and kind of, you know, change your workforce or have, you know, undertake the expense of bringing in a lot of people. But I would always advise, you know, a kind of having both of those things in your strategy. So mm -hmm. going in and bringing in some of the skills, some people that have done this before to act as the kind of champions um, and to grow that knowledge within, within other sort of supporters within the organisation. And in terms of um, that that communicating and using data to communicate and, and reinforce. Um, I guess it, it's topical with this um, being about a lot of organisations looking to modernise to the cloud that nowadays you have through those, those cloud services and technologies um, a huge amount of, of tools and data and performance metrics, so to speak. Is, is that part of the answer or, or what are your thoughts on, on, on metrics and how you measure the team performance? I guess there's a couple of different aspects to that. There's the kind of um, the internal and the external view. So, of course, now um, we're in a much better position 
than we've ever been before um, in terms of that external data about the customer and their interactions and so on. We've got so much telemetry about our applications and um, analytics about uh, user behavior and things like that. We don't have to second guess that anymore. We know exactly how people are actually interacting with um, the solutions that we're building. So, so that's great and that helps us to really you know, drive where, where we focus and how we drive change, you know, that external change to our kind of products. Um, but also looking at it from an internal perspective, then it's also um, you know, much easier to have good information about um, you know, cycle times and, and kind of you know, defect rates and, and things like that. Mm. Um, and when we, when we pair that with really good team practices around you know how we manage backlogs and do estimation then you know it means that we can have really really strong kind of forecasting mm. and good levels of certainty about when we get things done mm. i think it's quite good to even call out um sometimes we can get stuck on wanting to measure things because it directly ties to a number and this does um but um people miss out on it sometimes around team engagement and how important it is to actually, back to the point about the coaching roles, how important it is to actually have an engaged team. So it was nice to hear about how do you measure a team rather than an individual. I think that's quite important to make sure that you're setting teams up to be successful, that you're not um, singling out people. It's all about how we can move together as a team. It's quite important. Yeah. And another really nice point to mention actually on that is... Um, you know, whilst we kind of believe in measuring everything that you can and, and having this information um, because it's useful, then really not targeting people on, on those kind of metrics. And, you know, again, that's one of the things that I've seen with several transformation projects. It's actually been about sweeping away a lot of those kind of performance-driven kind of metrics yeah. and really just making it so that it's there for discussion. We want to understand what's happening and we want to make decisions to be able to fine-tune that and improve. But as soon as we start targeting people, we always get unintended consequences. Yeah. And there's been some crazy stuff in the past where, you know, I remember one example where um, I think the team had been targeted so that there was a certain ratio of kind of UAT versus system test defects. And so the response of the team is just to write lots and lots and lots of, um, you know, test cases for system testing, more than was needed to make sure that, you know, even if mm. quite a few things were found in UAT, that the ratio wouldn't go against them in their favour. So you get these terrible unintended consequences, which are not about, you know, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, they're not about delivering actual value to your business. Exactly. They become um, about the actual process mm. and the outputs rather than the actual outcomes that you're driving. So, yeah. Nice, and I and I so I guess um, to simplify that, it's around maybe potentially looking at things like a net promoter score or or other higher level team metrics rather than those those lower level ones. Um, and is that also, I guess, some of the way that you would suggest Jane um, having that conversation with, say, a CFO or that type of educational buy-in piece right up at the front when you're talking about. Um, strategic alignment across different different divisions or different competencies? I think it's really important to understand the influences that decisions can have and certain metrics, to James's point, can drive the wrong behaviours. 
I think it's an education piece. And I think that your coaches will come in and make sure that when we talk, when we're giving that visibility through that governance structure as to how certain um, targets and measures can drive the wrong behaviours. I suppose we try and focus on the positive. So when we start looking at um, making sure we've got the right measures in place when we set up front, that we've got a really good environment for um, failing fast and making mistakes, it's okay. Um, because if we don't push ourselves in, in those types of environments and um, if there's too much of a blame culture, then people don't really bring their best self. So I think it, it goes beyond the CFO. I think it goes across to all leadership teams um, and about making sure that, you know, people first is actually a really strong value that, um, that I really promote. I really like that that mindset of, of um, focusing on the positives. Um, we've actually got a webinar with Kate Selway, the Director of um, People and Culture as our capability, as you know, at Jade on Thursday. And um, she mentioned that there's some really interesting data out there is if you focus on uh, an individual's strengths and how you um, promote those, you actually, um, there's new data and research that's shown that you can actually get a 25% uplift out of an individual rather than focusing on their their weaker um, attributes and trying to coach and uplift those. So um, I think that's a great way to approach things, Jane. Yeah. Um, now, just with about five minutes left, it would be remiss of me not to um, touch back on some of that predictability. So I think we've talked about some of the big elements um, that are required to, to be successful in a transformation. We've kind of then drilled down into some of those um, around why potentially organisations have lost trust then some practical tips around how you rebuild that and starting small and then combining that with, with the right sort of metrics. So assuming you start to get that in place, what's the so what of all that? You know, where, where does it actually really start to, to um, accelerate and, and, um, and give you more predictability? So I think, I think probably one of, the, one of the key areas is just in you know, the, in terms of organizational structure, you know, creating stable teams, allowing people to kind of focus on a, on a particular problem. Again, we've still seen a lot of um, organizations where there's a kind of a more of a project focused um, approach. You know, that comes down, top down from their kind of budgeting process and things like that. And then as soon as the project comes along, people get moved around onto it. So I think this idea of, you know, we're always advising people to create mm -hmm. stable, you know, long-lived teams um, and move the work into the teams rather than the people to the work. Um, and that allows a whole range, a huge, huge range of benefits mm -hmm. um, in terms of the way that they're able to collaborate with one another, the way that they're able to kind of pursue the kind of all the continuous improvement initiatives to, to sort of build on their success and kind of learn, grow and optimise together, really. And, and ultimately, you know, results in, in happier, much more engaged people because they know that they've got a mission together to solve a particular sort of problem, you know. Mm. And all that IP that they retain mm. um, within that team. And so we think about other measures as well as um, we want to be able to retain talent. So um, when you're actually um, to be able to do that, um, to be able to keep that stable team, we think about all those other things that um, can influence that retention target as well. But retaining IT, um, reducing the cost around um, onboarding and offboarding people, um, that actually can slow you down. So the more you can focus on actually 
having that good coach in place and making sure that the, that team engagement is up is actually going to give you, it's going to help towards your predictability, really. Yeah, well, a, you know, a stable team of the same people that are doing the estimation, that are doing the actual work, mm -hmm. they're going to give you much more predictable kind of velocity, whereas if you're yeah. swapping in members of the team and changing it all the time, um, then, you know, you're, it's going to be very difficult to forecast and plan. Yeah, makes makes total sense. In terms of um, those who are saying we've got the buy-in, we've got the alignment, we've got the roles, we're all ready to go, but we've got this dog of an old monolithic system. It's the technology that's holding us back. What what, what do you say to, to what sort of advice or commentary do you have around people in that position? Yeah, it can be. I mean, it can be really challenging, and I know from experience of having worked with a couple of large sort of financial and financial services organisations that. Yeah, obviously, there's these, um, you know, legacy um, applications that are right at the whole heart of the core of their um, enterprise. And it can be a challenge because you've got all the kind of rhetoric from um, leadership potentially around, come on, we want to be more agile, we want more business agility. And then you have people, the developers and the architects and things that are tearing their hair and saying, but, it, you know, it takes us four months to be able to deploy a change and there's this huge overhead of manual testing and things like that. So, you know, that's definitely something that we've um, that we've seen an awful lot. Um, and I guess, you know, you, you need to, you need to have a kind of a modernization strategy. And, and normally what we do is start by, um, you know, doing a piece of analysis to compare the kind of the whole sort of business domain and the technology domain. Um, and then really start to identify areas, kind of small areas of that overall monolith, um, where we're expecting there to be change. Because if we're not expecting to change it, it's probably we don't need to do anything about it. If we're expecting changes, then we can start to kind of carve that off and maybe spin off new services where teams can actually just release, um, you know, really quickly or at will, basically. Mm. Um, I think that's, a, that's something that we've seen a lot of... Um, you know, financial services organizations do over the last few years in areas like payments as, um, you know, standards have changed internationally around payment processing and things like that. Um, and their systems haven't been able to respond then definitely a move to, you know, yeah, like I say, spin off new services that, that, that teams can, um, you know, adapt quickly. And so that, um, would that look like, um, like you said, that that sort of analysis piece is that a, a combination of of using something like um, experience design or design led thinking to drive where the pain is or where the the value is uh, for the end customer, and then and then overlaying some, I guess some some technical analysis or reality around what can be moved, um, and then rebuilding those components, say in a, in a modern tech stack or in the cloud, is yeah. that the sort of approach? Yeah, nice. All right. Well, um, we've covered a lot of ground today. And um, if there's any additional questions, please shoot them through or um, or you're welcome to send a follow-up email. Um, but Jane and James, thanks very much for joining me today. And um, that was really, really useful on the um, challenges of transformation. Well, thanks for joining us today on this episode of Beta and Beyond. Hope you found that interesting. We've got some amazing speakers lined up for our future episodes, so looking forward to sharing those with you shortly. Take care.